0: You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to Locked On Indians. I am your host, Jeff Ellis of 24-7 Sports. So before we get into the all-time second base, uh, we will probably not finish that discussion today because there's so much to talk about. We have to talk about the news of the day, which is the Indians are going to start charging for season tickets even though we don't know when this season's going to start. This is really ugly for a few reasons. Um, if you're on a payment plan, your March installment will be processed as scheduled in preparation for the season start after the delay. So they're going to start billing you in March for games that aren't going to happen in March. Uh, I assume this means that at the end they won't charge you for any of those games. But this leads to some big problems. One, there's no games happening. Um, there just aren't. Two, there's no way they're gonna play 162 game season. We talked about it yesterday on the show where they talked about you know where I said that I I think we're not gonna see games till the end of May, beginning of June. Uh, what we've seen come out today leads towards that. That it's gonna be about eight weeks or more. As a teacher, I mean I'm I i do not know if I'm gonna go back to class. I'm not expecting to honestly. I think the school year in terms of in-person schooling is done. I don't think we'll see uh, anyone doing any large. Thing like a baseball game until June at the earliest, uh, possibly later. So to start charging tickets when they know full well that it is very unlikely we're going to see games until June, it's just dirty pool. There's no other way around it. It's it's a bad look uh, for a team to do, especially when we're in the middle of a you know a national uh, crisis and there are people out there who aren't getting paid and who aren't able to earn a living and the indians are going to start charging for tickets for games that aren't happening it's there's no way to defend it there's no way to sit back and be like this is okay there's not i'm sure there will be people who do i'm sure uh dolan would come to a way to to explain this out but there's no good way to defend it with everything going on right now to to try to collect money for games that we know aren't going to happen for the next you know at least until May. So not in March, not in April, May, three months out. They're going to start charging for those games now. Again, you know, this is an organization that uh, seems to not understand PR time and time again, specifically when it comes to things like money and salary and the like, the the PR uh, has been a disaster over there. And it's something the Indians drastically need to address and work on. And, you know, people are reporting the payments came out today. Uh, March 16th was the tweet date I saw. So uh, at this point, it's March 17th in the East Coast. I am in Central, so it's still the 16th. So people are being charged on the 16th. Again, for games that won't happen for another three months. It's it's ugly. It's just... Ugh. We're going to take our uh, ad break a little early in the show today. I want to remind everyone to check out the Locked On Fantasy Baseball podcast. You got a lot of time to prepare for the season. Listen to Lockdown Fantasy to get the league up on your competitors. Withings. This is really important to us. You know, they are sponsoring us at a time when a lot of people wouldn't because there's not baseball going on and who knows what's happening. And I'll be honest, when I saw this ad for Withings, I thought this is actually a cool product. Uh, Sometimes we get free swag from from people. And I was like, I wonder if I can somehow get a, a scale out of this because... I'm going to read the ad copy here, but just being honest with it, I thought this was a pretty cool sounding item to begin with. Do you hate stepping on the scale? Maybe it's because you haven't met the right one. A company called Withings produced the world's first smart scale, and they are still the best. In fact, Tom's Tom's Guide rated Withings Body Plus the best overall smart scale. Smart scale in 2020. I use Tom's Guide all the time. That's a, a you know a good wreck there that got my attention when I was looking at this. If you're looking to lose weight, willpower is the key, but so is having the right tools. Withings smart scales are known for durability and exceptional user-friendly design. Step on, and data from every weigh-in syncs automatically to the free app for iOS and Android via Wi-Fi or Bluetooth. Lots of scales don't have that Wi-Fi option, and it means you need to have your phone on you. Both with Withings Body Plus gives weight, full body composition, weight trend, and even a local weather report. The scale can support up to eight users and even knows who is who. So here's the deal. You can get 25% off of Withings Body Plus right now at Withings.com for a very limited time. Go to Withings.com, W-I-T-H-I-N-G-S.com slash MLB to get 25% off the Body Plus Body Plus. <laughs> to get 25% off the Body Plus Body Composition Scale, that's dot com backslash MLB to get 25% off the body plus body composition scale. I keep wanting to just add more and more into that. Again, great thoughts for us, interesting product. Go to Withings, code is MLB, check it out. So I mentioned before, I recorded a bunch on Almar. I'm gonna now slice that into the podcast and then we'll start at the back of the list and work our way forward. We're not gonna get through the top five second baseman today because it is an interesting group, interesting acquisition and trade history for all of these guys. And again, this is me explaining why Robbie Alomar is sixth and just out of the top five. And I'm going to do that just because he had the shortest career of any of these three guys that I was really looking at for the final spot in Cleveland. Came over in 1999. Um, immediately was a top three MVP finisher. 323, 422, 533, 955, a 140 OPS plus. So at age 31, I mean, that's just a spectacular season one of his top three seasons of his career, 24 home runs was a career high. Next year he's an All Star again, but not quite as good. You know, Gold Glover all three years in Cleveland. Uh, 310, 378, 475, 853, a 114 OPS plus. Uh, it, it's good. It's just not quite as good. It's a pretty significant drop in the OPS plus. Now here's where it gets interesting because. If you go back with uh, Roberto Alomar in 1998, before he came to Cleveland was actually a bit of a down year. So he was doing the every other year thing we see sometimes uh, with players. And in his final year in Cleveland at age 33, Roberto Alomar hit 336, 415, 551, 956, a 150 OPS plus. That is the highest OPS plus of his career. Top five MVP finish, uh, double digits across all power categories, 80 walks to 71 strikeouts. I mean, I think the the real sad story in all of this was the, if you believe the rumor that after the 95 season, when he left Toronto, that um, Roberto Alomar uh, could have had a deal to come to Cleveland. Now, his original deal back in 96 with Baltimore was he got four point two million with a six hundred sixty six thousand six hundred sixty six dollar signing bonus and one point seven deferred money. the next year was good for six point three uh, and then the next year after that was six point three He comes to Cleveland and gets about seven million a year for his contract in Cleveland um, including you know eventually being traded with that. but again, if you believe the talk. He wanted to come to Cleveland, play with his brother. Cleveland wanted to sign him, and Carlos Baerger refused to move to third base. Uh, Carlos Baerger would be traded within two years, and uh, Roberto Alomar uh, would play in Baltimore instead of Cleveland. So yeah, I mean, it still kind of hurts to think about that. But how about then, I think it's kind of interesting to look out Al, the Alomar trade. Let's talk about it again. So Danny Peoples one of those great minor league first round guys who just never really got a shot in the majors i never quite figured out what was wrong with danny peoples i'll spend some time on it later um you know a low batting average guy but uh i think someone who would have a lot more value nowadays let's put it that he'll be saved for when i do some of those draft pieces but he goes and uh you know mike basic mostly known for giving up home a famous home run Alex Escobar was a huge prospect Matt Lawton was a Indians killer with the twins and Jared Riggin was uh supposed to be like a back-end relief guy Earl Snyder I don't even remember and Billy Traber who bounced around for a while with the Indians so they got five players for three um Alex Escobar was I mean he was one of the darlings of the prospect community at the time and I, they immediately gave Lawton that new deal it just didn't work out for the Indians. Um I just trying to see if they sometimes they have like where guys were ranked. But when I look at Alex Escobar, you look in the minors and he always swung and missed a lot. Um he had some really good power numbers, but there was always some some risk there um before he got to the majors, but he was five tool guy, was the hope. Uh Lawton had been an all star with the twins, but at this point he was already uh thirty. He'd eventually be an all-star with the Indians, but I mean, he, he got, the biggest problem with Lawton was he wasn't Roberto Alomar. Matt Lawton continued to be Matt Lawton, and he walked into just a terrible situation, and the Indians gave him money, and he was the centerpiece, and there was, it was a no-win situation for him. Uh, And and the forgotten thing in all of this is the Indians got five players. Um, What did the Mets get? In 2002, they got a guy who was not even league average. Um, Roberto Alomar at age 34, it's the wheels started to come off. 2003, they would trade him to the White Sox again below league average, and really he would never again. I mean, 2001 at age 33, he has arguably a career year, and then it's done. So the Indians traded Alomar. Yes, Alomar was a great player for three years in Cleveland um good enough to almost be one of the top five second basemen of all time and that trade occasionally still will get mentioned also because uh i'm trying to think of the shortstop that they signed in uh in conjunction you know they they traded him and they signed it signed it they signed a second baseman to replace him uh with the indians that year they signed lawton to that extension and both parts kind of blew up in the 2002 indians faces um but it doesn't... Ricky Gutierrez, that was the guy they signed to play second base. But it doesn't change the fact that uh, Roberto Alomar wasn't very good from that point onward. The Indians made a trade. Uh, they didn't lose the trade. They actually won that trade. Matt Lawton was better than uh, R- Roberto Alomar ever was after that trade. After that trade, from that point forward, Matt Lawton was better than uh, anything that became. Billy Traber was a solid pitcher for the Indians for quite a few years. Um I'd have to look and see some of the other pieces if they're able to flip guys in some interesting trades. I feel like sometimes you can see where uh, maybe the first guy doesn't turn into much, but the rest of the team, you're able to figure some things out. Uh, 2002 Indians were a bit of a disappointment, yes, but the Roberto Alomar trade, while remembered for its negativity, actually should maybe be remembered for its positivity and why the Indians won a deal that is still kind of held as a, a net negative for them. Man, that Alomar deal, right? So let's start talking about the top five uh, Indians of all time. We, we talked about Carlos Bayerga last time, and I think I would have to probably put him fifth on the list. I feel like you can kind of figure out who else is going to be where, but with uh, Carlos Bayerga, the man who prevented Alomar from getting to Cleveland earlier, if you believe the rumors, as I talked about, which maybe prevented Almar from being the number two second baseman in team history. But at the time, you know, it's really hard to argue with uh, with not letting Carlos do what he wanted to do. I'm trying to remember. I remember reading the Beacon back when I was a kiddo about, you know, how he was, it was like Rogers, Roger Hornsby, him, and a few other players. It was this elite group of like 20 home runs, 200 hits, uh, 30 doubles, 100 RBIs. You know, it's one of those things where they threw random stats together and made it a very thin grouping. Uh, but it, if you look past that, it doesn't change the fact that, you know, first year, 1990, he was all right. Nothing really stood out. But then 91... Uh, 744 OPS 105 OPS plus the next year though was the breakout 92, 312, 354 455 809, 128 OPS plus that is actually the best year of his career was that year, age 23 he would come back in 93 at age 24, his second best season That would be the 321, 355, 46 840, 124 OPS plus uh, the strike shortened season 314, 333, 525, 858. Comes back in 95 on that great Indian squad. Again, a shortened season uh, 314, 355, 452, 807. I remember seeing Bayerga recently when uh, the Rubber Ducks had the All Star game and he was part of the celebrity game. and. The funniest thing about him was he literally sat like the so the press box is in the upper area with all the the equivalent of loge seating or, you know, luxury box seating. And there's like a little bar there and he just sat in a chair there. Like this was someone who very clearly just loved being loved and recognized and just soaked it up for the rest of that day. It was kind of entertaining to watch. Uh, a good guy. Odd career uh, because that age 26 year in Cleveland was the peak. It went down after that. He never changed that. In 2003, in 105 games, he had an OPS plus of 117, hit 343, 396, 464, 859. But, I mean, pretty much after that, age 26 year, he had one other season with an, uh, just a, an OPS over 700. Just could not get it together. Uh, why did it happen? Well, I you believe reports and the rumors of the time he liked to party more than work out. And I had heard... Even as a child who had a father who liked to go out, I would hear stories about Bayerga at the flats back in the day that that was a thing, and he was spending a lot of time there, and it was almost one of those things, you know, certain players would spend a lot of time there, and you could hear about it from, if you were a kid like me, your father, and it was someone like Carlos Bayerga Jared Wright, and it was almost a great indicator for what guys were going to f- flame out a bit before their primes. Uh, you know, he went, uh, acquired in the Joe Carter deal, traded out in the Jeff Kent deal, just kind of one of those great what-could-have-beens. Um, I don't know Marty McCannis, that is his comp from age 23 through 25 before it turns into Edgardo Alfonso, who's another guy who kind of petered out. Um, Marty McCannis was a 1920 to 1934 second baseman, so reason, I'm not super familiar, but Ergo, one of the great, really, what could have been. you know, if he had just focused more on the game and less on everything else, um, ended his career with an OPS of 100, I mean, at his peak, he is such a good player, overall career OPS, just under 20, but he, uh, baseball became secondary, and that's why he is 36th all-time in Indians history at a 19.17. Uh, That's right. For his rest of his career, after he left Cleveland, Bayerga managed to have a negative 1.01 war. Uh, He did come back to Cleveland for a short stint in 1999. But from uh, halfway through 96, through 2005, outside of 2000 and 2001, he was in the majors playing here and there. So Carlos Bayerga, number five. The fourth spot was a bit of a debate. And it came down to... You know this is best second baseman in Cleveland and one guy had a shorter career in Cleveland the other had a longer career um, and we went with the shorter career for number four four-year career and that's Joe Gordon Hall of Famer would be a manager for the Indians as well as one point uh, nine-time all-star missed uh, two years age 29 and 30 for World War II service And so you wonder where some of those numbers could have gotten for him and performance He was, you know, the best years were definitely with the New York Yankees, eventually coming to Cleveland at his age 32 year. Traded for Allie Reynolds, someone I was not super familiar with in 1946. Reynolds had a good career with the Indians, though, and went on to have a good career with the Yankees. It's hard to say that uh, the Indians really lost or won that uh, trade in any way, but maybe the best way to to compare is when you go through most similar by age. Age 24, Jorge Cantu. I, I mean, I remember Cantu being good, but that's kind of surprising. 25, Baez. 26, Baez. 27, Tulo. 28, Tulo. Mentioned 29 and 30. He just didn't play because of World War II. Jeff Kent, 31. Chase Utley, 32. 33, Chase Utley, 34. Brett Boone, 35. Brett Boone. And Brett Boone is his most common comp. Uh, Other Indians of note in his comp list. Travis Fryman and Larry Doby. So... As mentioned, the Indians acquired Gordon from the New York Yankees. He came in in his age 32 year, 32, 33, 34, all-star every year. OPS plus of 135, 135, 103. His final year, he retired uh, after 19... Or no, he was traded after 1950, what am I saying? Even in that year, a 99 OPS plus at age 35. Uh, average drip dropped a bit, you know, it was a time when that stuff mattered more. But a good power hitter, 32 home runs in 48 a significant number. Uh you go through the lines 272 346 496 842 280 371 507 879. Again, the the first two years were exceptionally strong and then the third year was good and the fourth year was about average. I one can make a case honestly of putting him fifth and viagra fourth. That's why I kind of want to put them together. Um I kind of give Gordon a bit of a bump because he is a Hall of Famer. Uh, he he came over and, like I said, it was it was a four year run with the Indians, and then uh, he became a manager and was traded for Jimmy Dykes in 1960. So the Indians traded him in 1960. That's right. So they acquired him. Uh, he he was. So they acquired him in a trade with the Yankees, he came over, he played through 50, he comes back and is a manager in 58, 59, and 60, Uh, and then in 60 he's traded mid-year with the Tigers, they swap managers, which is kind of an interesting story, Uh, just in and of itself, Jimmy Dykes, uh, you know, a great, great player in his time, but he had retired in 1939, and uh, came over to Cleveland for his time, uh, just kind of more of an interesting tale. It's always interesting when you can talk about a Hall of Famer. He was uh, 63 and 64 and 60 and 61 when he managed the Indians. Neither of them had really good records as managers. It just gets down to this. When you're talking about the whole setup, yes, Roberto Almar is also a Hall of Famer. Yeah, I mean, now that I'm kind of really getting into this, I, I'm wondering why when I laid out this list, I had Gordon four. I mean, Gordon probably should be six. If we're being fair, Bayerga should probably be four and Alomar five. Uh, These three players definitely, I think, go together on the list. They're the ones who I think are most similar because when you get down to it, it's like Alomar was, um, you know, three good years in a trade. Gordon, two great years, two good years. Uh, And then Bayerga was uh, five really strong years, I believe, for the Indians before the wheels just kind of came off for him. So you know he gets definitely gets the should get the leg up in the group. So so I'm I'm contradicting myself here at the end. We're gonna go Gordon six Alomar five four for uh, Carlos Bayerga. I think I just got uh, distracted by Hall of Fame stuff and the idea of like Joe Gordon being an old time Hall of Famer and an MVP winner. Um, there's a, a big room for comparison though between Gordon and Alomar. Um, just in terms of like the MVP, the peak levels. And for both players, once they left Cleveland, uh, that was kind of the end for Gordon, because he retired and for Alomar, because it was just substandard performances. It is interesting that it's also the case with Bayerga. Essentially, once he was out of Cleveland in that final year, one could argue in Cleveland before he was traded, uh, it was kind of over and done with. So those are three guys that really saw their, their kind of careers uh, due, because of retirement, because of age, because of not taking care of oneself really kind of come to a conclusion in terms of being that high level talent at the end of the run in Cleveland. We'll have three more guys to talk about on tomorrow's show. Um, You know, I I think you can probably make a good guess who those three are. I I don't think it's going to be any big surprise. I don't think the order is going to be a surprise. I think anyone who knows the Indians well knows who one, two, and three are tomorrow. So tune in to hear that. Uh, reminding you to check out all the other great locked on podcasts. The you know the only news we have outside of the Indians and and their foibles is uh, the Browns and everything they're doing. So remember to check out you know the locked on Browns, good guys over there. The draft is coming up, uh, so the draft dudes this is the locked on uh, NFL pod draft podcast. So check some of that stuff out. Uh, I know it's it's a hard time. <laughs> We're all dealing with it. So put some podcasts in your head. Check out the the locked on network right now. We got a lot of stuff going on. You are you. You are awesome. I am Jeff Ellis. This has been Locked On Indians. And as always, go tribe.